take the shotgun snap. It's early on a Sunday morning, so you know what that means. Grinders, once again, it is our time. This is the Sunday Morning Grind Podcast, episode number 23, Josh Taylor, Greg Finley. In the episode we have dubbed Greg, the Tyrone Carter episode. Yeah, I'm going to insert the uh, club when Tomlin calls me Ninja Turtle with his <laughs> visor. <laughs> you look like a damn Ninja Turtle. Do your thing. <laughs> I totally forgot about the clothes he's on. That, that's yeah. That brings back great times. That brings back good memories of, of the, the better years of this team in the two odds. Um, but we have a plenty. Uh, we have plenty to get to. Some of it will be football related. Some of it will be Steelers related. Plus, we got to talk about NBA free agency and um, what in the world are the Lakers doing? We got to discuss that. Plus, Greg's got to get on his soapbox for baseball. I got to get, I got to get on mine probably about basketball for a little bit. So we're probably going to have a lot of catharsis going on in this episode, maybe. But before we do that, the Hall of Fame game has come and gone. Steelers beat the Cowboys 16-3 to in the first preseason game for the NFL. So football is officially back in 2021. Good news for everybody. Mm-hmm. That is, unless you hate football, in which case, who hurt you? Um, actually, that's a terrible question. Um. Anyway, let's let's kind of break this down because a lot of things happened. I think in this game, most of them probably weren't as significant, but there were a few things I think that stick out for both of us. Well, I, I was very uh, impressed with Najee Harris, and I knew I would be. First of all, I didn't think he was going to play because it was a Hall of Fame game. Usually, starters don't play, but at the same time, Tomlin wants to see what he's got, so I get that and. And there's no doubt in my mind that Harris was like, come on, like, I want to get in. And Sean Sweesome is still a thing. So there's that. Right. <laughs> and, and it's that field, too. Yes, and it's that field. They, exactly. they fix the field, but it's still a it's a glorified exhibition. The ghost of Sean Sweesome still hangs over Canton. Right. Basically. Right. So uh, after the first drive, I was like, all right, I've seen enough of him. And then he came back out. I was like, OK, seriously, I've seen enough of him. And then he came back out again. And. It wasn't even to the point where they just kept running the ball to him. Mason Rudolph or Haskins would run around and they'd be like, oh, check down to Najee Harris. Oh, check down to Najee Harris. And then five Cowboys would slam him. I'm like, stop giving him the ball. It was not one of those times (laughs) where the quarterbacks needed to really put him in the line to fire that free throw. I would agree with that. After the second series, I would have been happy. I would have been satisfied. I mean – Really, the first series, you pretty much saw what you were going to see with him. The second one was maybe, you know, a few things you didn't see. Maybe try to see how he does catching the ball. Maybe split him out a couple times. Because usually, you know, the first couple series of the game, you probably have a script as to what you know you're going to call, which is fine. Um, Some coaches do maybe the first 25 plays, depending on, you know, what kind of system you like to run. So I don't mind that at all. But yeah, once you get past probably the second series, I think you've made your point as to what you expect to see out of a guy especially at the running back position. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I don't need to see a ton of Najee Harris because it's not like he looks out of shape because apparently he's 240 pounds, but he's 6% body fat, which is nuts. He's 240 he, pounds? He he does not look like he is 240 pounds. He looks like he's like 175. <laughs> he, he does, however, look like he's 6% body fat. So yes. that's the part I won't question. Right. But he's clearly in shape. He's clearly healthy. He's clearly shown what he can do. So I don't need to see a ton of him until it is time to let him run the ball during a regular season. And that I'm okay with. So I don't have a problem there. Um, Outside of that, two other things concerned me. One was the play of the quarterbacks. The other was the play of the linebackers. And I mean, specifically the inside linebackers. Mm -hmm. I think we are finding out two things. One this Mason Rudolph, Dwayne Haskins thing, Dwayne Haskins thing is going to go on all year long. And I'm already irritated. I'm already annoyed by it, and I already want it to end. And the regular season has not started yet. You don't think by week three we get a clear, okay, this is QB2, this is QB3? That's not the thing I'm worried about. The thing I'm worried about is the ongoing debate of who's QB2 and QB3, not by week three, 
but by like December, we're still having this argument over who the backup quarterback oh. is. It's like, oh my God. Who cares? It's give the backup. Me, give me the rustiest screwdriver and let me stab myself in the eye. <laughs> I don't want to hear this all year. And we're going to. And for some people, it's for the dumbest reasons imaginable. I I hate doing this, but it's to the point where I am conditioned to expect the worst of the fan base of the city I live in. Mm-hmm. That's where we are now. With Penguin fans, you just you expect the worst. With Steeler fans, you expect the worst. With Pirate fans, they are the worst. <laughs> it is like whatever scene of Sesame Street where Oscar shows up with sticks his head out of the trash can. It's just like expect the worst. <laughs> expect the absolute worst. I don't want to do this about the city that I live in. But here's the thing. When you've lived in a place almost 40 years and you've seen it, good, bad, and indifferent, both as a fan and then also on the other side as a member of the media, you just know what to expect after a certain point. Yes. This is going to drag itself out. And I'm going to get so irritated that I'm not going to want to talk about it anymore. So so basically it'll be a normal football season. So you think if Ben stays healthy all season long, it's still going to be, well, who should be? Who It'll should still be, be up for debate okay. because neither side's going to want to admit they were wrong. I don't know why you have to bring it up in the first place, though, if he's still playing. Because this town is obsessed with the backup quarterback. I know. I, I, I don't get it. We're talking decades of being obsessed with the backup quarterback, whether it was, you know, Terry Hanratty, whether it was Joe Gillum, whether it was, you know, Todd Blackledge and Mike Tomzak and Tommy Maddox. We are just freaking obsessed in the city. Michael Vick. Michael Vick. We are obsessed with the backup quarterback. It's just, it. it's a discussion that most of the time does not need to be had until it needs to be had. Don't forget about Duck. Duck. <laughs> Duck Hodges. Exactly. Duck like, versus Rudolph all year long in 2019. I could probably have an easier time of rattling off names of backup quarterbacks than I could starting quarterbacks with this franchise in the last 40 years. And there's two reasons behind that. One, there haven't really been that many starting quarterbacks in the last 40 years for this franchise. There's that. <laughs> right. But there's been all the backup quarterbacks and people are freaking obsessed with them. It, it's <laughs> both reasons are extremely true. But it that's that's the thing for me. Now, I will say this much. And Mike Tomlin, I think, agreed with this sentiment at the end of the game. Each quarterback did some good things. Mason Rudolph made a couple plays. Granted, he lost that fumble in the opening drive that stalled out a really good drive where they were gaining yardage. They were actually moving the ball down the field pretty effectively, and that that bad exchange on the jet sweep ruined that drive. Yes. And that was the Cowboys, opening drive of the game. If the Cowboys had anybody competent on offense, they probably would have had a touchdown. More than likely. But, <laughs> however... This is another thing I wanted to get into that I actually liked out of this game. Alex Highsmith with that sack in the red zone. I thought Highsmith was awesome that entire game. He, he looked got to pretty the good. quarterback multiple times. Back-to-back plays. Yeah, the pressure was great. Yeah. He made the tackles. He was awesome. He got a sack on that second down in the red zone on the Cowboys. And then third down, he's the one that created pressure and forced an incomplete pass that almost got picked off, and that led to a field goal. Right. So I have no complaints about how Alex Highsmith played. Also, Quincy Roche got a sack in this game. He got to Ben DiNucci in the third quarter. He's a six-round pick. Yes. I, I thought the late round, a couple of late-round picks kind of made a good first impression. Quincy Roche did. I thought Presley Harvin the third made a great impression. He had four punts, and three of them ended up inside the 20. Dude, his punt that was right at the one-yard line, I saw so many pack-your-bags, Barry tweets. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things. We ended up showing it in the highlights last night. We had two minutes of Steelers highlights, and – Presley Harvin's punt inside the one-yard line was one of them. But it was more or less us accenting guys that play well. We had Quincy Roche sack. We had Highsmith sack. I mean, there were plays that were made in this game that you count on guys to make. And the more important thing is they were either by guys you're expecting to make those plays in the case of Anaji Harris or in the case of an Alex Highsmith or guys you're not so sure about and you wanted to see them develop like a Quincy Roche and a Presley Harvin. That, those were two things that stood out to me was just that you know, they were able to do the things that you want them to do from the beginning. My my great-grandmother grew up in Alabama. I think she had a sixth-grade education, but she used to always say, start out the way you're going to hold out. And we saw some of these guys, these rookies, actually start out the way they should, and I was impressed by that. I agree with that, and I'm glad you brought up Highsmith because that was another takeaway I had. I thought, uh, I thought Spillane looked kind of lost. Yes. Missed some tackles that he absolutely shouldn't have missed, including a third down and long on a screen pass and he missed the tackle on the tight end and he ran it for a first down. That can't happen. And he got burned by the running back uh, on a wheel route. 
that can't happen. He's covering the running back on the outside. And I'm like, why is Spillane covering the running back? It's amazing how many people watch this team and have watched this team over the years and still can't figure out what plagues this defense. They can't figure out that as the inside linebacker position is gone, this defense as a whole has gone. Mm -hmm. Think about 2017. Can you believe it's been almost four years since Ryan Shazier left the field on a stretcher and never played again? It's been almost four years. It'll be four years in December since that happened. That's insane. Yeah, and remember how quickly that season went down the toilet because the defense could not stop a cold after that. Correct. And partially because Ryan Shazier was the one competent backer that they can trust in coverage. Think about last year. Devin Bush was the one competent linebacker they can trust in coverage. He got hurt, and then five other guys played that same inside linebacker position. I should say the two inside linebacker positions. They had six guys play inside linebacker last year, and we're wondering why this defense had issues. (laughs) A 3-4 defense that has to go to their sixth inside linebacker? You got problems. And it ain't the coaching staff or your coordinator is. It's having healthy linebackers with two legs that can run around in the field and cover another human being. That was a lot of their issue. And that turned its head again last night. Yep. I, I I keep, well, the defense couldn't stop anybody. Could you imagine not having your best player? They did not have Ryan Shazier four years ago. Right. That's why things fell apart, because they did not have Ryan Shazier. And they didn't have Bush last year. And they didn't have Bush last year. I don't know a better way to describe it. When you don't have that depth and ability, and it's not linebacker, especially in a defense that relies on it so heavily, how do you expect to stop anybody? It's just not possible. How are we supposed to expect Devin Bush to just not skip a beat, too, coming off of that kind of injury? Coming off an ACL injury. And he can't play both positions by himself. Right. Which leads to another thing. The retirement of Vince Williams might have been a blessing in disguise. But that's so. an entirely different topic for another show because <laughs> one of the other guys who probably could not be trusted in coverage was Vince Williams. Correct. And that's one less problem that they have to sort through this preseason because it's not like Spillane's the only guy. Remember what we said. Six guys played that position last year. So, and one of those guys is gone. Did they bring Avery Williamson back? He's still out there in free agency, I believe. So, I believe, I don't think anybody else has picked him up yet. Okay. So, you know, of those six guys that played that position, four of them are back. One's retired and one's still out there. But honestly, of the remaining five, other than Devin Bush, how many are you really betting on to play that position that well? I'm not. <laughs> There's there the you problem. go. Therein lies the problem. And they're going to just throw Spillane out there and hope that it works. I, I'm not happy about that idea. And I, I, here's 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 the part where... I can't fault Robert Spillane. No, it's not his fault. It's his job. Hey, go out there. We're paying you money to go do this thing. Go do that thing. And he's going to do the best that he can. Does it mean he's the right guy to be out there for the lion's share? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But that's where, know, that's where they're at. That's where their bread's buttered. So it is what it is. Yeah. Also from that game, uh, the Cowboys just yikes. Life without Dak Prescott. It does not look pretty. No. And, and, I mean, granted, you know, who who do we see in this game? It was Garrett, Garrett Gilbert, Gilbert, Ben DiNucci, and Cooper Rush yeah, were the three quarterbacks. I don't think anybody was expecting any of those guys to light the world on fire, but you only got three points out of any drive you had in the game, and one of them was because the Steelers turned it over near midfield. Right. Those were your only three points that you got. Right. I'd be concerned if I were Dallas. They have more issues at quarterback than the Steelers probably do. And who knows how Dak's going to look after being out all year. That's That's what – that's the thing. It's just like you have that kind of an injury. You come back. If you get hurt again, how, what are they going to do? <laughs> no, we just talked about Devin Bush being hurt and how it affected the Steelers defense. Right. right. And in a couple of years before that, same thing with Ryan Shazier. Mm-hmm. Now take that and multiply it by a factor of 10. That's the Cowboys without Dak Prescott. Yes. And if you needed evidence, go back and look at last season. It's all <laughs> the evidence that you need. They had, they had, the best opportunity to win a football game against the Steelers, and they didn't because they didn't have Dak. Right. But th- that was a game that they never should have been in. They were winning, and somehow the Steelers still came away with a victory. That's what life without Dak Prescott looks like. That's why they had to pay him. That was I- life without Dak Prescott up against life without Devin Bush. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's how it looked. Uh, one more takeaway from the Cowboys, uh, Micah Parsons. He's the real deal. Legit stud. 
legit stud. He's the guy that recovered the fumble from the first drive that the Steelers stalled out on. Right. With that bad jet sweep exchange. But yeah, Michael Parsons, when I found out he was falling to the Cowboys with that pick, I'm like, man, there aren't many times the Cowboys can crush a pick, but they crushed that one. Yes. Because I don't trust them to crush a pick most of the time, <laughs> but they crushed that one. No, they try to crush some picks with like Sean Lee, but injuries would always catch up to them. So. And for, the, and for the most part, when Sean Lee was healthy, he was a very effective linebacker. Right. Car- Cowboys fans loved Sean Lee. Mm-hmm. And honestly, what's not to love? Upper St. Clair guy. Shout out to Upper St. Clair. Right. But, you know, it, it for that particular group, to land a guy like Parsons who could play either position, freakishly athletic, outstanding tape that he had at Penn State, pretty good resume, it, it's hard to argue with putting a guy like that on that defense, especially a defense that needed a presence because – I want to say they gave up more yards than anybody last season and maybe more points. It was one of their worst defenses, if not their worst defense in franchise history. So yes. if anybody needed that move to happen, it was the Cowboys. Yeah. And uh, I thought Kalen Balazs looked pretty good in that game. Yeah. He scored the touchdown to put them ahead uh, nine to three at that point. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to see that. I was surprised to see, you know, the the glimmer of hope of depth at the running back position. If that is the case, I think a lot of people would be happy with that. And for me personally, between Najee Harris, Anthony McFarland, uh, Benny, Snell, Benny Snell, Kalen Balazs, if that is your group of four running backs, including with Derek Watt making five, if that is your group and those guys can be efficient, it's really important that needs to happen because that's what makes Ben Roethlisberger's job easier. I'm going to keep reminding people of this. A 39-year-old quarterback. I say this as a 39-year-old man who wakes up hurting for no reason. And I don't have men slamming their bodies into me for a paycheck. Right. <laughs> so there's only so much further Ben Roethlisberger's 39-year-old body with men slamming into it for a paycheck is going to get you. Which means you need to find a way to make his job as easy as possible. And the part of the way you have to do that is with the run game. Not to mention the fact with an offensive scheme that I think will take a lot of pressure off of him to have to make those decisions. Because Matt Canada's scheme is very good at a lot of pre-snap movement, a lot of motion, and it helps you really determine by the time the ball is snapped what you're probably going to do or where the ball should go. From a functional standpoint, at least. Right, right. So now we look ahead to Philadelphia on Thursday. I don't want to see Najee Harris play. I don't think we should see Najee Harris. We're probably still not going to see Ben Roethlisberger. We'll probably see him that third game. Really Where it's like the dress rehearsal, but they have that dress rehearsal yes. game where you put the first team guys in and they, they run their script and then they're probably done. I, I mean, that's one of those things that every team does during the preseason. And there has to be some work that he puts in Yeah, because if for no other reason, you want to make sure he at least understands what they want him to do with the offense. Not that I think Ben Roethlisberger is not capable, but you still want to at least know that everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. So it has to happen at some point. And usually when you get to that one particular part of the preseason, preseason, you have your starters out there, and it's usually good on good, at least for that first series. And they're playing the Lions in that game. Right. So we'll get to see uh, Jared Goff at quarterback. And we'll also get to see just how crazy Dan Campbell is, their new head coach, because some of the stuff he says <laughs> is just flat-out psycho. So we'll see if it rubs off or not. It can't be worse than the guy they had before, though. Point taken. <laughs> Point taken. <laughs> and we'll leave that there. <laughs> With that said, let's let's uh let's shift gears a little bit because you well, and we I gotta get on our soapbox. We <laughs> both have a lot to talk about. There's some catharsis that has to happen in this show. Um you on two different points. And let's start with football because we're we, we just got done talking about the Steelers and the Cowboys in the Hall of Fame game. And we talked about how injuries can affect a team. Your team, your your I should say your secondary club being the Indianapolis Colts, because I know you're a big Colts guy. Um, your secondary team got a double whammy. They're done. It's over. It was fun while it lasted. They went and got Carson Wentz. I'm I'm thinking, hey, they had Phillip Rivers. They got to the playoffs with him, and he's yes. old. Carson Wentz comes into a new offense, and him and Frank Reich are boys. Right. I think this is going to be great. Injury, he's done for 11 weeks. That's not good. Nope. But, you know, they're working out other quarterbacks. It's like, all right, fine. Nelson, their offensive lineman, out another 11 weeks. They're done. Yeah, You you can't win without both of those guys. When you lose your your quarterback and your best lineman, that's just – 
that's that's hard to overcome. When I saw the Quentin Nelson story come out, the first thing I thought was, "Oh man, I wonder how Greg's doing." Like that was <laughs> that's the first thing on my mind. I'm like, "No Wentz and no Quentin Nelson." Greg is probably it happened on the same day too. Yeah, I'm like, Greg is probably trying to burn something down at this point. So yeah, I I felt for you when I when I got that news. You sent it to me. You were like, "Yikes!" I was like, "Yeah." Oh, because I didn't know. I saw the Wentz news. Then you sent me the Quentin Nelson. I was like, awesome. <laughs> I, I I could not find another thing to tell you other than yikes. It was either going to be yikes or I'm sorry. That's that's all I had for you. And that's just one of the teams you're dealing with. <laughs> I'll let you have the floor for uh, this one. All right. So, you know, I'm a Mets fan, That people that are listening. And this was going to be the year, man. They they were going to win the division. I had all the faith in the world that the rotation they had, adding Lindor, they were going to be able to do it. And DeGrom has had injury after injury after injury. And I said on this podcast to you months ago. You did. They need to shut him down for a month or two and let this guy heal. And what did they do? Oh, we're just going to throw him back out there next week and hope that he heals on his own. That's not how that works. How can you be a doctor and go, no, no, he can throw with with tendonitis. And this was what, three different issues that they had? Yes. And they're still knocking on wood and crossing their fingers with Jacob freaking DeGrom. They're like, we'll just throw him back out there. He'll he'll get through it. And he's like, hey, I feel fine. Throws it, throws six innings, shoves, comes out of the game. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty sore, guys. Well, gee, I wonder why. Maybe because you have tendonitis. Because you probably shouldn't have been throwing, maybe. Because maybe shutting him down for two weeks, or maybe even something small, like skipping him for a start in the rotation, might have had a positive impact. But Just do the minimal thing that might be preventative. But now he's missing two to three months of this season because they wouldn't shut him down earlier. And this is crunch time. Because two to three weeks just cost you two to three months, and this was the absolute wrong time for it to happen. This is crunch time. Have you seen their August? Yeah. The Dodgers. The Giants. The Dodgers again. The Giants again. They're playing the Phillies. These are must-win games, and they're going to get tortured. This is the absolute wrong time of the absolute wrong season where you have to take a trip out West in two of the best teams in the national league are out there. And uh, a, a, a team that's still, still fighting to be one of the third. It's still, it's still fighting to be the third in that group in the Padres. This is not a good time for that trip for the Mets. No, no. <laughs> they got to go to Chavez ravine and go to Oracle park and then play those same two teams back at home. Yeah. And you have to probably face the guy at least once that you thought was gone from your division because Max Scherzer got traded from Washington. Oh, wait, no, he's a Dodger. You got to face the Dodgers twice. So you might face him twice. Good luck. Where's Good. Morgan Freeman when you need him from Dark Knight Rises? Good luck. <laughs> and you want to, you, your, your response is to blackmail this person? Good luck. <laughs> That's such a great line. <laughs> I, I can't. Josh. On top of all that, Taiwan Walker hasn't had a good start in a month. He's been giving up home run after home run after home run. So now they're losing him, who was great in the up till the All-Star break, and now he's falling apart at the worst possible time to fall apart. This is after they acquired Javi Baez in a trade. <laughs> and they thought that Rich Hill was the solution. Oh, the ghost of Rich Hill. And Trevor Williams. Are you kidding me? Who is currently not healthy? No, he's in AAA. Zach Scott was like, we had to make these moves to show the team that we're backing them. You really think that Javier Baez, Rich Hill, and Trevor Williams is going to make Mets fans happy? Baez makes Mets fans happy. Those other two, Mets fans are scratching their head. Why didn't you go get somebody else? You know what doesn't make fans happy across the board? Losing, Losing. games. <laughs> That's why when you're the Pirates... And you have the discussion of, hey, can we sell some pieces off to get guys that might have value in return because we're still losing games with these guys? Right. I don't care what makes fans happy when you're still losing games. If you're not winning games, your fans shouldn't be happy anyway. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because what are you watching? Right. Think about the late two aughts with this team. When they had Jason Bay and Freddie Sanchez and Jack Wilson, everybody loved those guys. Xavier Nady, they loved those guys. But they were terrible. They weren't winning games. And they blew it up, and everybody was like, I can't believe they're selling everybody. It's like, right. They're trying to rebuild and make a better team. 
That's what they're doing now. They're trying to rebuild and make a better team. I mean, but the Mets are in win now mode, right? And that was their trade deadline, and they did it knowing that Degrom wasn't coming back. Right after the deadline, an hour later, Anthony DeComo, Degrom's out for another month. Yeah, and Mets fans are like, "And you didn't address this, you, and you you had to know." Rich Hill was the solution, even <laughs> if you didn't have Degrom out for another month. You still needed pitching. It's not like. You just mentioned Taiwan Walker hasn't had a great month. You still needed someone else to throw out the other, at least one of the other four days when Degrom's not pitching. And they and they thought that what the uh, Blue Jays were at, or not the Blue Jays, what the Twins were asking for for Barrios was too much. It was the top prospect at shortstop. You have Lindor for eight years. You had Lindor <laughs> and you had Baez. Clearly, you weren't going to need that right. kid. So you don't need him. You don't need him. And they wanted Dom Smith. I think they could give up Dom Smith if they would have added Jose Barrios. I do. They can put somebody else in the outfield. Another guy you probably don't need because you have enough guys and bodies that can play in the outfield. Right. The thing you needed the most of is the thing you didn't try to reload because you didn't give up what you had a surplus of, which, by the way, is pretty much the defining functioning of how trades work. Josh, they matched this so bad. I. They definitioned... The definition of metsing something, they took it to a new level. This is this was totally messed up. You <laughs> you blow the trade deadline. You blew DeGrom. DeGrom's probably not coming back till the end of September, if he's coming back at all. Mm-hmm. And that's what the other thing is. The Mets announcers are like, best case scenario, DeGrom and Syndergaard come back in September. You know what the worst case scenario is? You're out of contention by September. Thank you. You get out of August and you're 10 games back because you just went through a gauntlet of the Dodgers, the Giants, the Dodgers, the Giants. And guess who Guess who actually fixed problems at the trade deadline? The Dodgers and the Giants. And also, <laughs> for more importantly, the Phillies. the Phillies and the Braves. Yes. The Braves went nuts at the trade deadline. They got, what, like four different outfielders, well, a handful knew- of pitchers, a closer? Shocker that under the concept of we have a, a star player that's out, we need to replace him. Yes, because no Acuna. Jock Peterson the day after he got hurt. And then they got two more outfielders <laughs> after they got Jock Peterson. They brought Duvall back and they got Jorge Soler, who hits bombs. Uh, they you know what the you know what the Braves did? The Braves did the exact opposite of the Mets. The Mets have waited for the foundation to crack, the 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 paint on the walls to peel, the, the bathroom toilet to stop up. Even the Pittsburgh toilet down in the basement, that one stopped up too and it's not working. Meanwhile, the Braves had one leak and they remodeled the whole kitchen. Yes. They're like, we got a problem. We're fixing all of it right now. But they did something smart. They found short-term fixes and they found long-term fixes Mm -hmm. in the process. The Braves figured it out. Even the stupid money-spending Phillies fixed problems. If the team spending stupid money, that's self-admittedly spending stupid money... Has the sense enough to fix problems? What the hell is the Mets' problem? And they have Steve Cohen, who has money out of his pocket like nobody else in baseball. (laughs) You, You know what this becomes? I've had this discussion way too many times in the past month. Okay, I've had to ask these same questions way too many times in the past month especially when it comes to Pittsburgh fans, because I keep hearing, well, ownership and Bob nutting, and that's why they don't win. I have to ask them the same question. And I'll, I'll present these same questions to you. I'll try them on size for you, too. The four Super Bowls the Steelers won in the 70s, was it solely because Art Rooney was the owner of the team, or was it because they hired, in this order, Dan Rooney taking over football operations, him hiring Chuck Knoll, them drafting Terry, uh, Terry Bradshaw, then drafting Joe Green, then drafting Franco Harris in 1972, and then drafting, by the way, four Hall of Famers in one draft class and then another non-drafted free agent in that in that rookie class, too. People get this question wrong? I, I ask these questions. So which which one of the things made the things win the Steelers? It's the second one. It's the second thing, right? <laughs> because let's be honest, before Dan Rooney took over football operations, the Steelers had never won a playoff game in the first 40 years of their existence. That's why the Immaculate Reception was so important. Not just because it won them a playoff game, because it won them their first playoff game. Right. Because, believe it or not, for 40 years, no one cared about the Steelers. They played at Pitt Stadium and no one went. Okay, that's the first thing. The second question. What was the strength of the Penguins being so good in the early 90s? Was it having a generational talent in Mario Lemieux, 
having a really smart hockey ops guy and Craig Patrick who built this team in a really, really smart trade where they got rid of Doug Bodger and brought in Tom Barrasso and turned into a back-to-back Stanley Cup champion? Was it the smart hockey operations or was it Howard Baldwin buying the team and eventually going bankrupt a couple of years later? People get this question wrong. These are questions that I pose to people. It's I'm like, the first one. It's the first one. It's Lemieux, Craig Patrick. It's it's Kevin Stevens. It's it's that whole group of players that Craig Patrick helped put that team together, right? It's called building a franchise. Exactly. My third question: What made the Pirates so good in the six in the in 1960 and in the 70s? Was it Branch Rickey helping put the foundation in place in the late 50s, including a Rule Five pick that just happened to be named Roberto Clemente, or or I'll add to that. Was it Joel Brown putting great teams together in the 70s? In 1971 and the 1979 team through shrewd trades and great drafting? Or was it the fact that the Galbraith family owned the team? The first one. It was Joel Brown and before him, Branch Rickey, putting the team together. In the early 90s, was it Sid Thrift putting a team together between the early late 80s and early 90s with really good drafting and shrewd trades? Or was it the fact that the Galbraith, um, Galbraith family sold the team to a conglomerate of business owners in the city that couldn't keep the team on the field with payroll after, excuse me, after they won three division titles in a row? The first one. It was the first one, right? <laughs> yeah. So what does that tell you? Money does not guarantee anything. If you don't make sound decisions, you are throwing it down the toilet. Right. How many teams have we seen in baseball throwing money out like water and throwing it towards the wrong places? The Yankees are one team that does it all the time. They haven't won a World Series in 12 years. They're probably not going to win another one now. Right. They may not make the playoffs this year, and they doubled down at the trade deadline. Right. They are looking (laughs) up at, what, three different teams? you got to deal with Toronto, Boston, and Tampa. They're trying, th- to, they're trying to get a wild card, but they got to deal with the A's. And, and you the, think and Clay, and you think Clay Holmes, Anthony Rizzo, and Joey Gallo are going to fix your problems? Good luck. That's <laughs> all I'm saying. All I'm saying. So it, yeah, for the Mets, this becomes this a guy has all this money, but they didn't spend it. Properly. This becomes a discourse on wasting money. Yes. It. it but you hear people around these parts tell you, well, they're not spending enough money on it. Well, let's, let's, let's recap. 2013, 2014, 2015 were results of what? Really good drafting, shrewd trades, and understanding of how a team is built. That's how they came as close as they did. Because, yes, there was some talent involved. But they actually knew what to do at the right times. You mean to tell me handing Francisco Liriano that free agent contract at the time wasn't one of the things that led to that success? In the early part of this decade, I'd like to think it was, or I should say the previous decade because it's 2021. Right. But you know where I'm going with this. Yes. People keep telling me, oh, they're they're not spending. Meanwhile, said owner is spending more than any previous owner ever spent. By both actual numbers and by inflation numbers. When has this market ever spent big money on baseball players? Never. So what are we talking about? Right. The difference has been the success for this team in past years has been through smart baseball management. Not by the money they spent. But let's keep believing the same thing because it makes us feel better. I mean, they got A.J. Burnett from the Yankees. And that was a trade that people hated when it happened. Right. And he saved this franchise, you could say. And he saved the team. He came in and pitched great for them in those three years that they went to the playoffs. They signed Russell Martin, and all people can talk about was his batting average with the Yankees the year before. Right. And then he got traded, and people were too mad. Well, I shouldn't right. say he got traded, but he left in free agency. Right. And people got too mad. You can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. They brought in Jay Happ and traded the deadline. Adrian Sampson goes to Seattle. They bring back Jay Happ. That next day, or I'm going to say a couple days later, my old radio stop at Trip Live Radio. We used to have a poll every Wednesday for the Jag Off of the Week. After that trade for Jay Happ, Neil Huntington got voted Jag Off of the Week. And Hap was incredible. It happened to have been good. What the eight starts that he had. Yep. So you know what I did the rest of that season? Anytime someone brought Jay Hap, Jay Hap's name up, because I was the producer, and I stopped interrupting. Go, oh wait a minute, you talking about Jay Hap? Yeah, the same Jay Hap that Neil Huntington got traded for and got voted Jag off of the week. Yeah. Okay, just checking. Proceed. Because <laughs> I wanted to make sure everybody was reminded you hated this move when it happened. Right. The thing that they need, people don't want to see it. They hated the Andrew McCutcheon trade, and look how good Brian Reynolds has been. I mean, let's go back further. 
they hated the Nate McLeod trade that precipitated Andrew McCutcheon being called up. Yes. And both of those things were announced on the same day. Yes. Nate and McLeod got traded. They're Nate, not winning with Nate McLeod. <laughs> Nate McLeod got traded to the Braves. Some guy named Charlie Morton came back in the deal. He actually ended up being a pretty important pitcher for them. And, oh, yeah, Andrew McCutcheon's getting called up in AAA. You know what, what did people focus on? Nate McLeod getting traded. Yes. What? And they weren't winning with Nate McLeod. The thing that this team needs the most, people complain about. And the thing that people think is the most important is the thing that really does not matter as much. It's not about spending. It's about how you build your team. I, even I know that. Here's the weird part. Last time the Mets went to the World Series in 2015. Was it 2015 or 2016? 20, no, it's 2015. 2015. Yeah, when they lost to the Royals. You know what they had a lot of? Youth. Yeah, they had great pitching. Youth and pitching. Oh, they had kids and pitching. We're yeah. talking about that again? Yeah. It's funny how everything comes back to kids and pitching. Go figure. <laughs> they were actually a pretty well-built team. They had good pitching, and they didn't spend a ton of money. Here's another thing that's going to blow some people's minds. That World Series roster for the Mets, the amount of money and salaries, guess what it was equal to that season? The wild card roster payroll for the Pirates. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. I mean, they... They had a bunch of guys on rookie contracts. They had DeGrom, Syndergaard, Matt Harvey. They were all pretty young at the time. I mean, Harvey was aging, but he was still in his prime. And you as a Mets fan, five years later, six years later, would you rather take a team that was built like the one six years ago or the one that's built now? The one that was built six years ago. Uh, they, had what, the, they had the kids in pitching. And with that said, we'll move on. Patent pending. We're making T-shirts. <laughs> I'm already working on it. Are you? Okay, I'm, go. I'm, I'm working on making that a thing. Like, okay. kids and pitching will be a thing. Kids and pitching may become a book soon, so keep an eye out for that. Dropping some early bombs for you. Jeez. Yeah, we're... I, I'm I'm sick of having to repeat this over and over again, so I might have to just turn this into a book, put it on paper, and then put it out there for people to not read. <laughs> because there's already plenty of books out there that people aren't reading, because if you did... You'd know what I know. What kind of logo would we have for a kids in pitching t-shirt? I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to <laughs> well, it'll be it like, I don't know. Maybe it'll be like a, a like a, a really good pitcher like DeGrom and then like a young kid like uh, Juan Soto. And we just change it every year. The best kid and the best pitcher. Here's what we do. We're going to outsource. Listeners of the show. If you're, if you're in the, the graphic creative sphere, if you're a graphic designer or something of the sort, and you can think of a great idea for some kind of image to best resemble kids in pitching. By all means, let us know. Yeah. Give us a shout. We Sunday, have... M-O-R-N, or semi, Sunday, M-O-R-N Grind. Follow us on Twitter and send it to us. We'd love to see it. And our email, We might even pay you for it. Our email's posted on our page, too, if you want to email us. It is indeed. You can email the show. I yeah. like it. Let us, give us your best kids in pitching image we're curious i wanted to make a feed Devonte, but he's gonna leave green bay after this year so we're gonna have to wait to see where he goes next I, we never got a chance to address that and I, people were like aaron Rodgers is great um what 48 touchdowns and six picks you don't get to the nfc championship game without aaron Rodgers, and no one else is feeding Devonte adams as much as aaron and Rodgers. he and he probably said to them you will pay me what i want and if you don't Good luck. <laughs> I I I cannot understand why there are people. Aaron Rodgers is crazy. Do you understand the arm talent that that man has in the season he had last year? This is the reigning most valuable player of the league we're talking about. And people try to call him dead. They were like, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have it anymore. He won the MVP. What <laughs> game were you watching? Tell me you don't watch football without telling me you don't watch football. Yep. That man had a season. The only thing that needed to happen on top of it was winning a Super Bowl. And who knows? Maybe if the coaching staff has half a brain and knows when to actually go for it, maybe they had a shot at being there. And they don't let Tom Brady throw a touchdown to a short white guy. (laughs) Because they don't call the wrong coverage at the end of the first half. Yes. But, yeah, blame Aaron Rodgers. Are you kidding me? Right. Right. Whew. All right. Yeah, we're taking a break because I need to. No, no, no. You got to talk about the Lakers. This is just one segment show. Oh, you got to talk about the Lakers. That's right. We are doing one segment show. All right, so I've been on the soapbox for you all this time, and I forgot to get right, on my so own. Now, so now I'm going to bring it up to you. We joked last week about how when the Lakers got Russell Westbrook, it was like, okay, now what are they going to do? They're going to have a bunch of nobodies. And the the Lakers 
And we were joking about, yeah, Carmelo might want to come play for the Lakers. We you know, talked about mercenary Melo. He's down. He's down here at the end of his career. He we might did. want to take a pay cut and just play with LeBron and AD and have some fun. And we did mercenary Melo to the Lakers is a thing, and I want to know how you're feeling about it. You know what's weird? I actually like the thought of mercenary Melo as a Laker. How can you not? I like that thought. <laughs> It's everything else that I'm going, what in the world? (laughs) You know how I felt after all this happened? And I thought about what we talked about on last week's show. And I thought about the scene from Avengers Age of Ultron. Okay. When they're in Sokovia, they're trying to protect like the thing that's supposed to drill into the cork and explode and mess up the whole city. Yes. And they're they're taking out all the, the Ultron clones. And Thor looks at Ultron and says, is that the best you can do? And then, like, 300 more Ultron clones show up. And Captain America goes, you had to ask. (laughs) I saw all the moves that the Lakers made. And I sat there and looked at myself in the mirror and said, you had to ask. (laughs) That's what I get for asking if this was the best the Lakers could do. Because I sat there and said, well, who else is going to be on this team since you traded, like, half the starting lineup and bench and your draft pick to get one guy back who's going to cost you a ton of money, by the way, and he's going to want the ball just as much as your two other stars are. So who else is going to fill out this team? I should not have asked that question out loud because I did not want to hear the answer. If it would have just been Melo, you would have been okay with this, right? If it would have just been Melo, I'd have been fine. But that return that they brought back... Is not just Carmelo Anthony. Um, apparently, bringing back Dwight Howard was a necessity, and I don't know why. I had this discussion in in the barbershop. Shout out to VIP Styles, uh, Vic Musgrove, the owner of my, my own barber, too. He's been a Laker fan longer than I have, and we we talked about this. I'm like, why would I want aging Dwight Howard back when I was leery about when they had goofy young Dwight Howard? <laughs> And at this point, I'd take goofy young Dwight Howard over old Dwight Howard, <laughs> even though neither experiment seemed to work too well. So let's just recap here. You got old Marcus Saul. Yeah. And then whenever he gets tired, he's damn near the ghost of Marcus Saul. And whenever he's tired, you go, let's bring in old, old Dwight, Dwight Howard. <laughs> You've got LeBron, who's aging. Soon to be old LeBron. People don't realize LeBron's been playing 18 years. Correct. He's 36. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. LeBron, when he gets tired, will be replaced by, wait for it, the ghost of Trevor Ariza. What? <laughs> that was the main one. I'm like, Trevor Ariza? <laughs> what? Dude, why are they bringing back so many ghosts? Oh, my God. The ghost of it... Kent Bazemore. Oh, jeez. Just... Oh, I don't. I'll tell you one I did like. Kendrick Nunn. I didn't hate that one. I like that move. That was one of the ones because that made he sense. Was, he was pretty good for Miami. He's a yes. young guy. And he's a young guy. Yeah. And they're going to have Russell Westbrook, who's going to be running around for 37 to 42 minutes. And they're going to need a guy to come in for six minutes. So That is when he's not being load managed. Because that's going to have to happen a lot with this team. They're going to need load management. So then you're going to say, Ugh. oh, I didn't even realize. They brought Wayne Ellington in. Oh, God. <laughs> the ghost of Wayne Ellington still in the league? <laughs> they might as well just change it from the L.A. Lakers to the L.M. Lakers. Dude, I mean, he's the load 30, management Lakers. He's 33. Do you remember whenever he hit the shots for North Carolina in the tournament? Yes, that's Didn't what's feel weird. feel that long ago. That's what's weird. That was a decade ago. <laughs> and the T-Wolves drafted him. It's like, ugh, Wayne Ellington? <laughs> you know how I know it's been a long time ago? Because I was in a completely different phase of my career when that happened. So what are they doing? Are they are they just trying to are they trying to just be the oldest team that they can compile and go, you know what, we can still do it? Well, if you go off of what LeBron said on social media, yeah, like tell us we're too old. Clearly that's what they're trying to do because LeBron's not running from it. What what? 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 Anthony Davis will be the youngest guy on that team. And he's got pretty bad knees. Right? I he can't stay healthy. He hasn't stayed healthy in a couple of years now. Uh, so I got nothing. So how you feeling? Do you think that this team can even make the playoffs? Playoffs. <laughs> Here's how I'm feeling. Oh, 
I'm talking about the playoffs. Here's how I'm feeling. Okay. I had to ask. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling. I had to sit there and ask, well, what are they going to do after they do this? And they went and told me. And I, I broke one of my own personal rules. I get in a lot of arguments with my wife, and I say this often. If you don't want to hear the answer. Don't ask. Don't ask the question. And you asked the question. I broke my own rule and asked the question. So you know what? Now I got to sit here and live with it. I got to deal with it. And I'm going to be going through this entire season. And I'm going to sit there texting you going, what the hell is this team doing? I think we're going to have some hilarious back and forth of just like gifts. You're going to have, oh, like, I'm going to have like laughing. I'm going to be like, Dude, what are they doing? And you're just going to have like the ashamed or I can't deal with life emoji. There's going to be a lot of Jimmy <laughs> Butler like gifs with all the faces that he's made over the years. Sheldon, a bunch of Sheldon throw all the papers up in the air. Like, oh, yeah. I, I'm done. That's a go to for me. Go to is the Sheldon throwing papers in the air. That's whenever our parlays die. Oh, yeah. Immediately. <laughs> Immediately. Unbelievable. So, is can this team succeed? I don't think they can. There's only one ball, and you got to share it with Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. How are they going to do that? If there is one human being, and this is really, I'm, I'm having to channel all the reason and understanding I can to try to make this point make sense in my head. If there's one human that could possibly make this work, and I do say Possibly, because the possibility is low. But if there is one human who can possibly, possibly make this work. It's LeBron. It it might be LeBron James. He, he's the only guy that I think can talk to an individual like a Russell Westbrook, like a mercenary Mello, like an AD, which AD, I don't think you have to have that conversation as much. No, he's a team player. But to sit down and tell them, look. We have to all give something up to make this work. And it's going to have to be when it's your turn, you light it up. But if it's not your turn, let the next guy light it up. It has to be that mentality. That's the only way that it could possibly work. And you notice I said LeBron James, and I did not mention it coming from Frank Vogel. Because... <laughs> I don't know if it matters coming from him. <laughs> it has to come from LeBron. It, it this the only way this can work. And this team that we just talked about that's super old is going to have to stay healthy for the large part. Because what happens if these guys get hurt? How are then they what? supposed to keep up with a healthy Steph Curry, a healthy Clay Thompson cuz he's coming back? How are they going to keep up with those kind of guys? They can't. Oh, and the Warriors actually did okay in the draft, too. There's that. I'm thinking about adding Ben Simmons, too. Ugh. So the Warriors might be a thing again. A team where Ben Simmons doesn't have to be the guy? Right. right. Now what? Right. <laughs> I will sit here in my own rule-breakingness, and I will have to wear this. I'll have to wear it. I, I'm a Duquesne alumnus, okay? I, my 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 team hasn't seen the NCAA tournament in my lifetime, so I've I've lived through worse things before. Mm -hmm. I was also ten years old when Sid Bream happened against the Pirates with the Braves in 1992, so I've I've lived through worse. Scotty Reynolds, I've, Pitt. Well, I'm not a Pitt fan, so that kind of made me laugh more than anything. <laughs> but, you know, because yeah, I mean, Pitt's masochism like kind of stands up on its own merit, but. Yeah. Living through this is not going to be fun. I'm actually excited about a Pirates rebuild. That's how that's how strangely off kilter my mind is when it comes to stuff like this. I am less excited about coming through this, going through this Lakers upcoming season than I am about a Pirates rebuild. That should tell you a lot. I'll tell you what I'm excited for. Ronzi Contreras. He's on my fantasy team in my keeper league. <laughs> oh, you better believe I'm waiting for that call up. That guy's going to be awesome. If and I picked up Hoy Park. He's been killing it. If a spot opens up in your fantasy baseball league, I'm more than curious to join it. Because okay. it sounds like you guys do a lot of fun Dude, stuff. Dude, it's 16 teams. And it's a keeper league. You have four minor leaguers that you carry over. I've had Julio Urias since he was 18 years old. I'm, I'm in a <laughs> hockey league that's a keeper league, and we have minor leagues. But I probably don't enjoy it as much as I would with a baseball league like that. Dude. I would have so much more fun. It's so fun.
especially when your team's good. Like I'm in second place. I'm having a ball. If my team stunk, it wouldn't be as fun. Right. Uh, my <laughs> hockey team stinks and it's definitely not fun. So there's that. But then again, I picked up a team that stunk because the guy was there previously quit, but that's beside the point. Before we end this, <sighs> I feel better now. Good. I feel better too. <laughs> there was a hilarious meme that said Luca Doncha. It was a picture of Luca on the bench and Nicholas Batum walking over to him, and it just said, Luca Doncic just can't get past Nicholas Batum. Oh, man. <laughs> Speaking of funny memes, before we close this out, and I totally forgot about this with the Lakers discussion we had. My best friend sent me this. I think it was either yesterday or two days ago, and it was two pictures in the meme. One of them was the Lakers, and the other one, the Expendables. <laughs> because the Lakers have pretty much become the Expendables <laughs> of the NBA. And I could not even argue they become like the WWE when they bring Goldberg back when he's 50. Oh, my God. <laughs> and The Undertaker coming back from retirement for the 80th time. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's the Laker. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. You know I'm going to have to, like, bring this up all of basketball season. I'm like, Josh, Lakers, go. It might be a bunch of Goldberg gifts <laughs> during, during basketball season. Goldberg gifts, Undertaker gifts, maybe old Scott Hall gifts. Not like younger Scott Hall. Like Scott Hall when he came back. Goldberg experience somebody threw a table and Marcus Saul just throws one down. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> it might have to happen that way. All right. In, I, I got, I got everything off my chest. <laughs> I, I think this was a good session. I think we got a lot of, a lot accomplished today. We have to take a, a break next week. Cause I will actually be out of town. Um, I will be in Jersey with my family. My son is getting baptized Congratulations. at my church. So we'll be in Jersey for that for a few days. But, Maybe that's how we'll package it. We have plenty of time to discuss that. In the meantime, this has been episode 23 of the Sunday Morning Podcast. By the way, don't forget, follow us on Twitter, Sunday, M-O-R-N, Grind. Also email the show if you to see your kids in pitching. Send them to us if you're creative curious. For Greg Finley, I'm Josh Taylor. See you in a couple weeks.